All right. Hey, I just, when I sat down, I realized one thing. We also have Randy Wheeler from the Solomon Foundation with us this weekend. He is the vice president of church relations that covers the region of the country that we're involved. I don't know if Randy is in the service this morning or if he's out at the uh, table, but uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy too. And he's the one who would uh, be working with us directly when it comes to any uh, Solomon Foundation needs. So be sure and and, uh, introduce yourself to him. Randy and I actually went to college together. He and his wife, Chris, I've known them for over 40 years. Wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, I I, uh, uh, am always thankful for November and the opportunity we have or we take every year to talk about money because uh, I'm I'm concerned about uh, helping you get to a place in your life where you are a good steward. I, I have the deep desire in my heart to be a good steward of everything God has entrusted us when it comes to finances. And so this uh, fall, we have this message series called Money Rules. So far, we've talked about the heart rule from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Then last week, we talked about the management rule. We started with the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, and then used some selected scriptures. And this week, we're going to talk about the savings rule. And I'm going to tell you right from the beginning, this message will be a little bit different because we're going to spend our time together talking about the importance of saving money as a part of making sure that you are being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. And you can't just turn to one single passage in the Bible to talk about that. You've got to look at a variety of different places. But here's the bottom line. The Bible has a lot to say about the importance of saving money as a part of your overall plan for being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. And this is really important because you don't have to be someone who cares cares a lot about financial things. You just have to be somebody who pays attention to see that we have a savings problem in our country. Most people today have a savings problem in our country. Last week, I read a November 1st article on MarketWatch that began like this. As red flags go, this is a big one. The personal savings rate, meaning personal savings as a percentage of disposable income in the United States of America fell to 3.3% in the third quarter, down from 3.4% in the prior quarter. And the article went on to say that is the lowest level, the lowest savings level in our country since the Great Recession and the eighth lowest quarterly rate on record since 1947. And it said, adjusted for inflation, savings in the United States of America are down 88% from their peak in 2020 and down 61% from before the pandemic began. Now, I don't want to sensationalize those numbers. And so the obvious question we need to ask is why? Why are the savings rates among Americans down so significantly? And I think one reasonable answer is that, you know, when the... uh, COVID pandemic came, people went into deep freeze when it came to their spending because we were stuck at home and most of us, apart from our family, the only person we might see during the day is a delivery man that might show up at our door. But now, fast forward and the restrictions are off. People are playing catch up because of that because they want to be out again. We want to experience life again and we want to create some happy memories to replace all those unhappy memories from those pandemic years. And so, as a result, people aren't saving money. They're doing just the opposite. They're spending money. And the reason why I say that, and oftentimes they're spending money they don't have, and the reason why I say that is because when I was researching this, I also discovered that in the United States of America, credit card debt rose to $887 billion in the second quarter of 2022. And according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, that's up 13% from a year ago, which is the largest increase of credit card debt in our country in the last 20 years. 
And so the end result is not only are people not spending or saving money at the rate they need to, people are spending money at a higher rate than ever before. According to a September 12th, 2022 article from the American uh, banker, 23% of American households today have no emergency savings, none at all. 28% have some savings, but not enough to cover three months of expenses if something happened to you, like you lost your job or you were unable to go to work or something like that. And according to an October 24th, 2022 article from CNBC, 63% of Americans today live from paycheck to paycheck, including almost half of all the families in the United States of America that make a six-figure income. That's a brief picture of the problem that we have in our country with short-term savings. What about long-term savings? A November 10th, 2022 article from GoBankingRace.com reports that the average age for retirement in America today is 66, which is up from the age of 60 in the 1990s. That's a pretty significant increase. And of the 47.8 million Americans today, age 65 and older, the average income is $38,515 with an average net worth of just over $170,000. And the article went on to say that despite 77% of Americans having retirement plans, many people just don't have enough money saved to actually fund their post-retirement at the same level as their working age. Now, I could go on, but uh, that kind of information uh, I think gives us the picture of the reality of what saving money in America is like today. There's a savings crisis in our country, and I don't want to misuse that word crisis. But here's the good news, especially for people of faith. The good news is the Bible gives us some excellent instructions, some excellent advice when it comes to saving money, which has got to be a significant part of every believer's overall financial plan if you want to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. And so we're going to spend some time talking about that today. And because we always make the public reading of scripture a part of our service, I'm going to put a single verse up on the screen and I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to go ahead and stand with me. And we're going to read this verse together. Let me hear your voices. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to read it together twice just for emphasis, okay? So here we go. Let me hear your voices. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Let's do it again. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Last week, we talked about the management rule as we looked at this overall picture of being a a good steward of whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us. And uh, as we talked about the management rules, I told you there are, some, there are some biblical management rules that we have to follow. I limited myself to three, some things we have to understand right from the beginning if we're going to handle the money God entrusts us in a way that honors him. And the first one and the most important one is this management rule. Everything belongs to God, everything. Psalm 24, 1 says, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything belongs to God. The second management rule we talked about was you got to have a plan you got to have a plan. Proverbs 13, 16 says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. And the third thing we talked about was the importance of being generous because the Bible is really clear in regard to God's desire for us to live generous lives. And I think most people want to live a generous life. The problem is most of us or many of us just don't put ourselves in a position where we're able to do that. 
But let's talk about that second thing for a minute. When it comes to managing money, uh, you've got to have a plan. Some people have a plan that's very detailed, and I, I applaud you if that describes you. Some people, uh, they, they love budgets, and they get real detailed in their budgets, and uh, they go line by line, and they count for every single dollar that comes in, and I applaud you if you do that. I believe in the importance of having a plan, but I hate budgets because I'm not somebody who's drawn to things that are tedious and detailed. I just make my eyes glaze over whenever that kind of thing uh, comes along. And so what I decided a long time ago for my family was that we would have a spending plan. I like a spending plan better than a budget. Somebody say amen to that. I like a spending plan better than a budget. A budget makes me think about limitations. A spending plan makes me think about what I'm able to do. But rather than have a detailed line-by-line spending plan, we have a spending plan that we've used in our family for many, many years that revolves around three commitments. Number one, a generosity commitment. Number two, a lifestyle commitment. And number three, a savings commitment. A generosity commitment, a lifestyle commitment, and a savings commitment. Now, I think the generosity commitment for believers, for people of faith, should come first because God has first place in our lives. Somebody say amen to that. And so our generosity commitment should take first place. I love what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 when he says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I really like that, especially in terms of thinking about managing money with a plan. Each man has de- should give what he has decided in his heart to give, what he has made a plan to give. And, and, and a lot of people that I've talked to over the years who want to be generous but can't live generous lives are in that position because they don't have a plan in their life that includes generosity. And so I think that's the first thing that is, most, is uh, most, the most important thing, rather, when it comes to uh, the way we handle our monies. Now, I believe in the importance of savings, too. Remember, I told you there's a generosity commitment, a lifestyle commitment, a savings commitment, and savings is so important. But it's that lifestyle commitment that really, really sets the pace for what you're able to do in terms of generosity and savings. We've got to make sure that our lifestyle is where it needs to be. One of the things that happens in America today that severely hampers a lot of people's ability to give money, to be generous, and to save money, to plan for the future, is something that culturally is called lifestyle creep. Lifestyle creep. And the simplest way to explain lifestyle creep is as your income goes up, your spending goes up, so that you never give yourself the opportunity to take advantage of the margin that you should have, the financial margin you should have between how much money you make and how much money you spend. Because it's that financial margin, using that financial margin that gives us the ability to be generous and gives us the ability to save money. I've told you before when we talked about money because we've done this for 20 plus years uh, here at Mount Pleasant. I've told you before that one of the best decisions my wife Sandy and I ever made was to decide what level of lifestyle we wanted to live. And then when we got to that level of lifestyle, we stayed there. No matter how much our income increased, we stayed there because we were content there. And I will tell you something today. I never worry about keeping up with the Joneses. And here's why. Because most of the time the Joneses are broke. And that's something that we all should remember. You don't have to worry about keeping up with the Joneses because the Joneses in the United States of America are broke. It's our lifestyle commitment, mine, yours, all of us, that gives us the freedom to be generous 
and gives us the freedom to save money. Again, something the Bible talks about in some very deliberate and very specific ways. In fact, I think the most, the, the most powerful story about the importance of saving money is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament book of Genesis, and it's the story of Joseph. I'm sure most of you, uh, if not all of you, are familiar at least on some level with the story of Joseph. You can read his story from Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50. And Genesis chapter 50 is the last book or last chapter chapter rather in the book of Genesis. He was sold into slavery when he was young, probably only a young teenager by his brothers who hated him because they were jealous of him. Their father Jacob favored him in, in extreme over-the-top ways and they just came to a point where they were over it. And so one day they saw an opportunity and they seized Joseph and they sold him uh, into slavery and a caravan headed to Egypt. And once Joseph got to Egypt, you know the story, his life was very difficult. He was purchased by a man named Potiphar and he found favor in the eyes of Potiphar, so much so that Potiphar put him in, in charge of his entire household. And the Bible says Potiphar didn't even give a thought to his household with Joseph in charge. That's how much integrity Joseph had. But the problem was Mrs. Potiphar was not as upright as Mr. Potiphar and she looked at Joseph and she wanted to have a sexual relationship with him. Now, if you read the story of Joseph, you get to Genesis chapter 39 and I can't remember what verse it is, but there's a verse in Genesis 39 that says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Hawa, 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 hawa. He was well-built and handsome. I remember talking about this story once when I was like in my 20s, my first church, I was 25 or 26 years and I was preaching a series to the book of Joseph and I got to that place and I said, you know, I always felt a real common connection, a real close connection to Joseph. And right after the service was over, one of my elders came up and said, you know, Joseph was a dreamer also, right? You know, he was a dreamer. So burst that bubble really quick. Anyway, and she tried to seduce him and to, even to the point of trying to entrap him. And if you know Joseph, he was such a righteous man that he ran and left his cloak in her hand, which in, ended up uh, causing her to uh, lie and say that he had tried to sexually assault her, which landed Joseph in prison where he was forgotten. For years, he languished in prison. Well, sometime later, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt, had a dream that his advisors couldn't interpret and he had a man working in his court who had spent some time in prison. He said, hey, I met a guy in prison who has the ability, I'm summarizing the story, who has the ability to interpret dreams. That was Joseph. So they called for Joseph. He heard Pharaoh's dreams and he interpreted it perfectly. He said, what these dreams mean is that there's going to be seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt followed by seven years of deep, deep famine. And then Joseph added these words. He says, this is what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need to look for a, a, a man who is discerning and wise and put him in charge of saving for those seven years of famine. And Pharaoh was smart enough to say, well, I think that man is you. And so Joseph basically went from being in prison to the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. But I want you to look at these verses on the screen from Genesis 41, verses 46 to the first part of verse 48. This is what happened next. Joseph was 30 years old, <coughs> excuse me, when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. And during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully, Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. And there was plenty of food for all the people of Egypt and plenty of food for people who came from other places, which if you remember the story, is how Joseph was reunited with his family because they ended up coming to Egypt for food as well. We need a plan for saving, saving for the future 
because that's biblical. We see it in the story of Joseph, and we see it in some really great verses in the book of Proverbs. Let me show you three passages in Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Even ants are smart enough to know how to save. Proverbs 21, 5. The plans, everyone say plans. Plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Proverbs 21, verse Verse 20, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. A foolish man gives in to lifestyle creep and spends everything that he gets. The Bible has some really great instructions for us when it comes to saving money for the future. That is a biblical concept. So what I want to do is I've got um, about 19 minutes left, is I want to just give you uh, some specific instructions, some specific direction that we find in the scripture when it comes to saving. If you're someone who likes to take notes, here's the first one I want to share with you. Be committed to saving over the long haul. Be committed to saving over or for the long haul. Here's hands down my favorite verse in the book of Proverbs when it comes to money. It's Proverbs 13, 11. It says, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And I've told you before that I, that concept of dishonest money there doesn't mean what you might immediately think it means. It not, doesn't mean like, like stealing money or something like that. The idea is really, the concept is really of get, get rich quick schemes. In fact, if you look at the same verse in the New Living Translation, it reads like this, get rich, wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Let me, let me put that in really simple terms that everyone can remember. When it comes to saving money, this is what we need to know. By the inch, it's a cinch. By the yard, it's hard. By the inch, it's a cinch. By the yard, it's hard. I told you I first learned about the power of compounding interest from a little book a man in my very first church gave me called The Richest Man in Babylon, which gives us money principles in the series of parables. And here's the deal about compounding interest. If you start saving early enough and you consistently save, you don't have to save a lot of money to one day have a lot of money through the power of compounding interest. Let me just illustrate it in a real simple way. Let's say that you're going to save $1,000 a month, or excuse me, $1,000 a year, $1,000 a year, which is over the course of a year, that's not a lot of money. That's $83.33 a month, $19.23 a week. That's less than 3 cents a day, $1,000 a year, but you did that for 40 years, this is what that would look like at the end of 40 years based on different interest rates that you might get. If it's 6%, uh, which is not a big interest rate, uh, but it's, it's a solid interest rate at the end of uh, 40 years, you'd have $176,280. Uh, if you had an interest rate of 8% at the end of 40 years, it'd be $314,096. If your interest rate was 10%, it would be $578,757. If it was 12%, at the end of 40 years, you would have $1,095,482. That's $1,000 a year for 40 years with different levels of compounding interest. And that interest would compound monthly. That's the, what I did when I ran those numbers. Uh, just $1,000 a year, $83.33 a month, $19.23 a week, less than three cents a day. Just think about what the growth potential would be if your income, if, if as your income grew, the amount of money you invested would grow as well. 
And now obviously that's just a pur- for the purpose of illustration, that money would be invested primarily in the stock market and there's no way to accurately gain or uh, accurately gauge uh, gains and losses over the co- course of 40 years, but I think you get the idea of the power of compounding interest. If you start early and you're consistent in your savings, you don't have to save a lot of money to one day have a lot of money. And so saving money is something that all of us need to do in our lives and we need to begin yesterday. And if we didn't begin yesterday, we need to begin today because by the inch, it's a cinch. By the yard, it's hard. I opened my first investment account when I was 21 years old at $100 a month. So not far from that $1,000 a year that we just talked about. Now I know that for some people in our country today who are older, they have, they have not saved money along the way, the way that they should have. And because of that, uh, there's a lot of anxiety and there, uh, there's uh, people who have their financial futures uh, kind of in jeopardy and that creates a lot of stress. And all I can say to you, if that's you, well, the first thing I can say is this, sign up for Financial Peace University. It's not too late to do that. You can sign up for $10. $10. And I'm so proud of you guys because Don Vandosky texted me yesterday and said we had 48 people sign up last week for Financial Peace University, which I think is just an incredibly fantastic. But if you haven't, if you haven't been doing a good job of handling the money God has entrusted to you for whatever reason, sign up for Financial Peace University. I also recommend this book to anybody who hasn't, who's older but hadn't started saving money. It's written by a man named David Bach. It's called Start Late, Finish Rich. I would pick that book up. It's not very expensive, just a paperback book, and it can give you some real good instructions. And one last thing I'll say before we move on. If you have children at home, especially young children at home, teach them these truths. Teach them these truths and set them on the right path. One of the reasons why so many people today have financial problems who have difficulty handling whatever amount of money God entrusted them is because nobody ever talked to you about money. And we're not stupid when it comes to money, but we might be illiterate when it comes to money. And money is one of those things, I've said this to you before, one of those things in our culture that people just assume everybody understands and everybody knows how to handle, but that's not the case. I can tell you that for sure. Here's the second thing, if you like to take notes, don't forget about short-term savings. We talk about long-term savings. That was kind of the focus of that uh, first point. But don't forget about short-term savings because everyone needs short-term savings. I'm talking primarily about an emergency fund. Look at this verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 27 and verse 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. I think that's a great verse for encouraging us to save money for the short term to have some kind of emergency fund because we should be wise enough as we live in this world, this sinful, fallen, broken world to know that bad things happen sometimes and we can wake up one day and everything's great. We can wake up the next day and everything has changed because of a job loss, because of some kind of accident, because of some kind of diagnosis. But most people live their life today when it comes to their finances like they're bulletproof. Like nothing bad will ever happen to them. And then when something bad does happen, they're not financially prepared or financially equipped to handle it. And I'm talking, it can come in so many different ways. Cars break down, home repairs are needed. Uh, we, we have to meet our, our uh, copay for our insurance or we have to be able to meet our deductible or any other number of things. Back at the very uh, end of February 2020, we had a special weekend here at Mount Pleasant where we celebrated the fact that as a church, we had passed the $1 million mark in monies, in change for dollar monies that we'd given away. A million dollars. 
in, in a relatively short period of time, you know, just by asking everyone to get, be willing to give $1 more for every person in their family when they came to church, we had passed the point of where we had received a million dollars. And we had given almost all of that away to people who, with needs just similar to the one that we heard today. And so we were celebrating that. But we're also celebrating the fact that we came to that point with $70,000 of unspent change for a dollar money, which happens sometimes. Because if, you're, if someone's a change for a dollar family, then we don't just give you money. Money, we pay the bills that you need to pay. We pay the car bills. We pay, we, we pay the medical bills. We do it directly, okay? We, because we think that's the best way to handle that. And sometimes we don't get all the receipts, and sometimes people don't need all the entire amount of money that is received, so it kind of builds. And we had $70,000. What are we going to do with that? We researched it out, and we found this company called RIP a Medical Dead that buys un paid medical debt for pennies on the dollar and then goes out and, and, and looks for people to make donations to, to cover that medical debt. And so we've talked to them. I talked to some other churches who had used them. And uh, so the question was, well, how much, how much unpaid medical debt is there in Greenwood, Indiana? And then how much unpaid medical debt is there in the uh, Old Southside neighborhood and the Fairfax neighborhood and the Bethany neighborhood where we have our impact campuses? And at the end of the day, what we did was we gave them $70,000 to cover $7 million over $7 million of unpaid medical debt and got people out from under the, the, the weight of that unpaid medical debt. I thought it was a tremendous thing. But how many of you know you never have the good without the bad in life? And so <laughs> the next week, I got a contact from somebody who just did not think that was a good use of the change for dollar money and, uh, you know, gave me a earful about it and then, uh, and then said, that's not the purpose of change for a dollar and I asked him, I said, do you listen to the change for dollar stories? Because if you listen for the change for dollar stories, what is the one thing that that money is used for more than anything else? What's the most common thing that money is used for? Unpaid medical debt, hospital bills and doctor bills and costs of ambulances and all those kinds of things. Because most of us live our lives like we're bulletproof. But the Bible is really clear and God is really clear in telling us that, that, that while we live in this world, we're going to have trouble and that trouble is going to come in a variety of different ways and we have to be prepared. Now, I know what the Bible says about not worrying about tomorrow. I know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount about not worrying about tomorrow. God, if God takes care of the, the, the birds of the sky and the flowers of the field, he surely can take care of you. I know what Paul writes at the end of Philippians 4 in verse 19. He says, and my God will provide or supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know our God is a God of provision, but I also know the Bible has a lot to say about the wisdom of making plans, of having plans in our lives. And we've, I, this verse we talk about all the time, Proverbs 13, 16 says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool, a foolish man exposes his folly. We act out of knowledge when we understand that unforeseen uh, circumstances and unforeseen expenses can come into our lives at any time. And so we are prepared for those things. If you enrolled in Financial Peace University, the first thing that you would learn is you need to, the first thing you need to do is to save an emergency fund of at least $1,000. It might be $1,500 today, but at least $1,000. You know why they tell you that in Financial Peace University? Because nearly 40% of all the households in America today cannot pay $400 cash for an unexpected expense. Almost 40% of all the households in America cannot afford to pay cash for a $400 emergency. 
And what happens, what do people do when they don't have the cash to cover things like that? What do we do in America? We go into debt, right? And thankfully for all of us, I don't have time to talk about debt today. But that is an anchor and a chain around your neck that will keep you, will always keep you from financial freedom in your life. Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. And that is so true because there are a lot of people in America today, maybe a lot of people listening to me right now who are servants to a lender or to lenders. Don't fall into that trap. The Bible, I don't believe, I'm not someone who believes the Bible teaches us that debt is specifically wrong or forbidden or some kind of a sin, but I do understand that there's not one thing the Bible says about debt that is positive, not one. Here's number three, if you'd like to take notes. When it comes to saving money, and this is kind of mostly in in terms of, of saving for the long term, know what you're doing. And what I mean by know what you're doing is when it comes to saving money by investing money, don't invest in things that you don't understand. Don't risk whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you by investing in things that you don't understand. Look at these words from Proverbs 24, verses three and four. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Now, I want you to notice three, ver- three words in this. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. When we, when we handle God's money, we need to handle it with wisdom, we need to handle it with understanding, and we need to handle it with knowledge. And so when it comes to investing money, we need to make sure we understand what we're doing. Don't invest money in things that you don't understand. There are a lot of people who are way smarter than me when it comes to investing money. In fact, I would venture to guess that most all of you are way smarter than me when it comes to investing money because my mind's just not wired to really understand all the different details of different kinds of investment opportunities. But I will tell you today that I understand what I am investing money in. I know what it is, I know how it works, and I know how it makes money for my family. We need to understand what we're doing when it comes to handling God's money. We live in a sinful, fallen, and a broken world today, and lots of investment opportunities are built on that brokenness. And I want, to the best of my ability, to avoid those kinds of investment opportunities that are built on brokenness or the brokenness of other people in a way that takes advantage of people or in a way that promotes the dark, sinful part of our world. Proverbs 14, eight says, again, this is the verse we read together when we stood up. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. A part of being a good steward or a good manager of the money God entrusts to you is to give thought to what you invest in so you can avoid things that dishonor God. Proverbs 16 and verse eight says, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Number four, we need to save on purpose. We need to save on purpose. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory. We need to know why we're saving. Uh, We need to have a purpose for the money we're saving so that we can avoid the mistake of saving for the wrong reasons. Uh, What would be the wrong reasons? Well, last week we began the message by talking about the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Remember the story? The man was a wealthy man, a farmer, but he had a big bumper crop one year and was more than he could handle. And said, what am I gonna do? 
Uh, and they decided I'll tear down my smaller barns and I'll build bigger barns so I can store it all there. Then I'll just take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. No thought to God and thankfulness for the blessing of God. No thought to how he might use that money or that wealth uh, to help other people in need. It was all about just hoarding it for himself with all of his identity, all of his security, all of his trust tied up in his wealth. And remember what happened? Two things happened at the end of the story. First of all, God called him a fool. And second, God took his life. So now who's going to enjoy all the wealth that he has amassed? And Jesus said, this is what happens when you store up treasure for yourself, when you treasure treasure for yourself and you're not rich toward God. So there are wrong reasons for saving money, but there are right reasons. There are good reasons for saving money. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what am I saving money for? We talked about the story of Joseph and how he created a strategic plan to save the provisions of Egypt so that the people of Egypt would have food to eat in the seven years of famine. He saved for the future. You go back to that verse or those verses in Proverbs we read earlier about uh, the ant, Proverbs 6, 6 or 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Even ants know there'll be no food in the winter unless it's stored during the summer. So we, so first of all, and here's the reason that should be uh, up there for all of us. We save money so we'll be prepared for the future. You, one day, one day you're not going to be able to get up and go to work. One day, I'm not going to be able to get up and go to work. One day, you're not going to want me to get up and come to work. And I got to have, I got to be prepared for what comes next for me and for Sandy. Go home today and, and just get your computer, get on your phone, go to Google and type in these words, savings crisis in America, and just take some time to read the reality of what the culture of saving money is like in our country today. There are so many people who are not prepared for a future when they are not working and drawing a paycheck. So we save money for our future. We save money, some people can say this, we save money to bless our family. We save money sometimes, people, this, this is the desire of their heart. They want to bless their family. Look at these words on the screen from Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Now, maybe one of the reasons you save money is so that you can uh, bless the, your children and your grandchildren and your family. I understand that people have different feelings about that, and some people think that, you know, that's the last thing that they're going to do is leave money to their children because they want them to be responsible and be good stewards, and I think that's great. And I, I respect anybody's conviction, whatever it is, related to that. Sandy and I have it in our hearts to bless our family, if we can, in, in a variety of different ways. Uh, thinking about the Solomon Foundation, we open up custodial accounts for each of our grandchildren at the Solomon Foundation, we put money into each one of those accounts every single month to help them uh, in some specific ways when it comes to college and other things like that when they get older. I think that there are some valuable things we can do to bless our families, and that is uh, a worthy reason or one of the worthy reasons why we can save money for the future. We might save money to bless other people. We might save money because we want, our, uh, we want to use the, the wealth that God entrusts to us uh, to ex extend beyond our lives, to bless our church, to bless missionary partners, to bless people that are involved in things that we, uh, we think are worthy causes. I love these words from Proverbs eleven twenty five: A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The Bible has so many verses that, that talk about the power of being generous, the power of generosity. And so maybe you, you save money to put yourself in a position one day to be able to give it away, even to give it away in a way that it outlives you in your life. Here's the bottom line. 
While saving money for the future is biblical, we've established that truth. The Bible teaches us about that over and over again. The Bible also warns us against hoarding money or saving money to the point where our trust and our security and our identity is tied up simply in that wealth. That's not why we save money. And one of the best ways uh, to avoid that is to save money on purpose or to save money for a biblical purpose that honors God. And all those things we talked about fall into that category. So many biblical and practical reasons to save money. We could spend so much time talking about this. And I understand, listen to me, friends, especially if you're a guest, this is really a different kind of a message. Uh, and, uh, but I, I have always, always, I've told you this before and I'll reiterate, I've always had it in my heart in every church that I've served, I've had it in my heart to try to help the people in those churches to be the best financial stewards of what God has entrusted to them that they could possibly be. That's the conviction of my heart to do that. And so if you're a follower of Christ, then you need to have a plan for how you handle whatever amount of money God entrusts to you. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. I was reading this past week, and we'll close, and the team can come. We'll sing one more song. And I ran across this quote from a man named Jonathan Swift, who was an Anglican author that is best known for writing the book Gulliver's Travels. And this is what he said. It was so simple and so profound. He said, a wise man should have money in his head, but not in his heart. Let me hear your voices. Read that with me. A wise man should have money in his head, but not in his heart. We should have it in our head in sense of a plan and an understanding where it comes from and an understanding of using it in a way that honors God, but not in our heart to where it becomes like a rival God, which is what money is for so many people in our culture today. We demonstrate the kind of wisdom that he talks about there, having money in our head but not in our heart, when we manage whatever amount of money God has entrusted us with a plan, and a part of that plan is saving that money for all the worthy causes we talked about today. One last thing, uh, our annual stewardship commitment cards are uh, done and being distributed this weekend. They'll be distributed next weekend also. And this is, this is a challenge we give to you. We've been doing this for every year to make one of three commitments to begin to give faithfully and consistently with the tithe as my generosity goal, to begin or continue to tithe as my measurement of generosity, or to begin or continue to give over and above the tithe as my, me my measurement of generosity. You can take that card. You can fill it out if you're in a place where you're ready to do that. And there are boxes, red and white boxes outside the worship center. You can drop that in there. Uh, you can take it home and pray about it. Uh, and even if you forget to bring it back next week, guess what? We're going to have extras. <laughs> so don't worry about that. But I think there's something significant about making a commitment like this and signing your name to it to help you, to help me be genuinely committed to living out the instructions of the scriptures and the convictions of our heart when it comes to managing whatever amount of money God entrusts us. I want you to pray with me. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much and we're so grateful for the way you love us and the thoroughness of your teaching in the scriptures. And I know money is a, is a tedious thing to talk about sometimes. It's an emotional issue and people, some people just kind of switch off their minds when it comes to money, but that is not the way that you want us to handle financial matters. You want us to be alert. You want us to be wise and prudent. You want us to act from a position of knowledge. And so we need to know what you have to say about handling money. I pray that you would continue to bless 
West Mount Pleasant as a generous church. I'm so thankful for the many generous people in this church because it's that generosity that helps us uh, to live out our mission, to change the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. We love you. Convict our hearts today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, amen. Amen.